Hi, my name is Anne McElhinney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. And welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. Um, it is six and a half months into the two-week flatten the curve lockdown. Yes. Phelan, how are you enjoying your pandemic, your 2020 pandemic? I. It's awful. Can I just say it's awful? Go on. I'd rather have my eyes poked with a sharp needle, which you get done once or twice a month. I do. I do. My wife made the very wise decision. Oh dear, good. Something wise, I'm loving that. That's sarcasm there. She doesn't know what's coming next. My wife made the very wise decision. She was recently with her eye doctor. And before he stuck a needle in her eye, she argued about uh, COVID with him and Chinese virus and other aspects of COVID, which he did not agree with and things got wrong. I got think, well, I think basically, I think the, I think the, the lesson for the day is um, don't argue with, um, nothing bad happened, but I, I still think it's best to keep politics out of your relationship with your doctor. I think, you know, and particularly if you have a nice relationship with your doctor, you want to keep it that way. Yeah, especially if he's got a large needle that he's about to put in your eye. It's just Confucius say, you know. Yes, Confucius say. Yes. Um, so what a week we've had. What a week Obama we've Gate had. has been launched. Obama Gate, the movie has been launched. Uh, we're so excited about that. So we are bringing the truth about Obamagate to the movie screen. It's a play. It was originally a play, Obamagate, uh, starring Dean Cain, Christy Swanson, John James of Dynasty, and you'll be hearing Dynasty, and you'll be hearing more about we're him. We're going later. to interview him later in yes. the program. So we're filming it like Hamilton. So Hamilton was a musical, and then Disney f- filmed it over two days, uh, close-ups, all that, you know, different angles. And it really looks great. And so will our Obama gate. We're going to really go in. We're going to have about six cameras, seven cameras. We're going to film it over a couple of days, a couple of goes. And, you know, it's really going to bring to life the, the whole. truth. Uh, it's mm. going to bring to life the truth of what happened. I mean, a lot of people, I kind of make the point that a lot of people have written about what happened with Comey, with Brennan, with uh, Samantha Powers, with all these people. Um, and with and Ob- Struck and, with, and Page. And Struck and Page and with Obama and what people knew and didn't know. And I think sometimes it can be an overwhelming amount of information, and particularly when the information is very much you know, written in kind of very intelligent uh, short papers and mm. very intelligent articles. articles and newspapers. And it's interesting, you know, that the left are very clever about this. So, you know, obviously the left also write lots of articles about this, mostly saying that there was collusion in the election and all of that. But the left do something else as well, and they're very smart about that. So they've spent $40 million doing a two-night extravaganza called The Comey Rule, based on Jim Comey's book, which will be coming out at the end of the month. They're spending this ton of money um, because they're not leaving any stone unturned in getting their story told. The problem is their story is inaccurate. It's a lie. It's a lie. Peter I was, Strzok... I was going to be nice and say inaccurate. It's a lie. Yeah, Peter Strzok has his book just come out, full of lies, full of omissions, full of errors, by the way, as he was forced to admit recently. So we're doing the Obamagate project, the Obamagate movie. And what's unique about what we're doing is it's verbatim. It's only the words that they used. We haven't we haven't rewritten anything. We ju- and, I, and my question is, Phelan, I said that to you, I think, when we saw the Comey Roll, which we did, we got to see it. My question to you was, why, Phelan? Why, why, why? You know, she says all incredulous. Why did uh, the Comey, when they were doing the Showtime show, why didn't they just not bother writing any dialogue? Why didn't they use the dialogue of these people? Because, funny enough, we're really lucky. We have loads and loads of their I mean, dialogue. There's memos everywhere. There's text messages everywhere. They were all forced to give evidence under oath. There's an enormous amount of actual... Which is much more dramatic. Minute-by-minute description of the plot to undermine the Trump presidency, the Trump candidacy. But they don't want to do that. And because verbatim is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, I found that with Ferguson, when we did the Ferguson play. 
and uh, we people normally at a play people are sitting back listening to the play listening to what the dramatist came up with the characters but when it with a with a verbatim play they're leaning forward they want to hear every word because they know this is the truth this is what a real person said in a real situation about a very dramatic incident and the truth hurts and the truth can also set you free and this is why hmm. we've had the news of the actor walking out so we already have one actor walking out just like ferguson where nine of the cast walked out or just like fbi lovebirds when we had it in dc where the theater cancelled at the last minute six yes. days before we meant to yes. go on stage so now we have an actor walked out kristen connors has walked out she was playing a, a congressional interrogator and she walked out because it's propaganda. I'm going, propaganda. It's, it's, it's the truth. It's actually, this is what people say. This is what... It's yeah, she hates that. You know, this is the problem with these people. You know, um, here's verbatim. Here's the actual words people... And, you know, propaganda. No, propaganda is when you're telling lies, actually. That's what propaganda is, actually. If you're looking for propaganda, try the Comey rule. Yeah, look, this is the movie that Hollywood doesn't want you to see. This is the movie that, that the mainstream media don't want you to see. So... We need help to, to make it happen. So please go to ObamaGitMovie.com. And give what you can. I mean, one of the big problems that we've had, obviously, and we're working on with the, with the production is we have to deal with all these COVID rules. We are dealing with the unions. Obviously, you can imagine they're very, very strict because of COVID and people have to be tested repeatedly and people have to be kept apart. So you can imagine how challenging that is. And that has been a huge extra expense. We've had to have a nurse on, you know, on site for all of the filming and all of this kind of stuff. So it's... We would really appreciate your help. You could go to ObamagateMovie.com and yeah. give what you can. Whatever you can, anything would make a huge difference. We really appreciate it. And the more people actually uh, kind of registers how incredibly important the story is. Yeah. So just to bring you some more information about the project, uh, we're now going to go and interview uh, John James. John James, uh, you might remember, uh, he played Jeff Colby in the 80s show dynasty total heartthrob by the way back in the day and everyone on set is sort of saying that like yes. total heartthrob actually the, both the gay people and the straight people all come up and say you you were my crush at, uh, at, at high school yes so, and uh, I, I totally remember i mean i totally remember him and by the way he's, he's as handsome today as he was then and what a wonderful man to work with we have so, had just a fabulous experience yeah, with so him. we're in rehearsal right now but so let's go over and talk to john uh, about his his life, his career, and why he wants to be involved in the Obamagate uh, movie project. So, but uh, don't forget, go to ObamagateMovie.com. Now we're joined by John James. We're so happy to have you here, John. Um, thank you, thank you for agreeing to to talk to us today, and and for being agreeing to be in the Obamagate movie. Well, thank you for calling me. <laughs> that's great. I think that's the first deal I've ever made while I'm standing in the bread section of a supermarket. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think that's a great place to make deals, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Actually, Philip, you called me uh, because I sent back, um, I got the email on Friday and I said, uh, Philip, let me, let, me, let me read it over the weekend and uh, consider it and then I'll talk to you on Monday. And I read the script Saturday morning with my coffee and I whizzed through it. I thought, Jesus, this is great. No, but Monday. And I sent you a text. And uh, <laughs> next thing I know, we're talking in, uh, with my mask on at Kroger's supermarket. 
love it. Very I good. love it. It's my favourite. So we want to start, by the way, by by you know going back a little bit over your career, John, and asking you, you know, well, first of all, I think we're going to introduce John to to the viewers and to the listeners. You know, you you you're an actor. You're uh, you you're you were Jeff Colby in Dynasty. You have been in many TV and film film roles. But let's let's talk about. Uh, sorry, let's start with Anne's question. So the, the question I have was, what's it like to, you know, and this is a very serious question, John. What was it like to be swooned over in multiple languages on every continent for over a decade? Well, I wish that was, it was that way today. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'll tell you, you got to remember back when I was doing Dynasty, I called it really the twilight of, of television in many respects of big television. It was the same thing that the studios, motion picture studios went through in the 50s when TV was starting to make inroads. And when we were in Dynasty, that was the 80s, and that's when I remember sitting in the makeup room laughing about a 24-hour news station or a 24-hour weather station on cable. Who's going to watch that? CNN, who's going to watch the Weather Channel? <clears throat> so we were canceled when we had an audience of 29 million people back in 1989. So in many respects, um, I, I liken it to being at the twilight of the motion picture industry in the 50s. We were at a transitional period when, not that it was getting any smaller, certainly the business is much bigger, but the audiences are fractured. So consequently, you don't have these enormous shows like we were in Dallas, um, yep. and not only in this country, but certainly around the world. John, John, you were literally, it was like, so in Ireland, just so you know, there was mass and then there was dynasty, which we called, just so you know, dynasty. Dynasty, yes, of course. Das right. Denverklan in Germany. Uh, the funny thing is, I have a very <laughs> small Instagram account because I just started it. My daughter said she's an actress. And she said, uh, you know, you really should get into the social media thing. And we are looking, I think the dynasty is now playing in Ecuador because I have my number one country is Ecuador. And I have no idea. But just to give you an example of the impact of dynasty. Um, and no, it's not COVID because I've been tested so many times during the production. But anyway, I'm in Africa. I'm on the Serengeti during the middle of dynasty. And Serengeti is out in the middle of Kenya. And these crazy expatriates from England who were running Little Governor's Camp came up to me and said, oh my God, we're so excited to see you. Uh, British Airways, they, they bring us tapes every week and we crank up the generator and we put it in our VCR and we watch the show. I said, what? He said, oh yes, and tell me about Joan Collins. Tell me about Linda Evans. Is John Forsyth a really nice man? And I'm here in the Serengeti listening to hippos and giraffes and lions <laughs> roaring at night, listening to these guys. And he said, by the way, we had another actor here not long ago. You might know him. He said he was a very big actor. I said, what's his name? He said, Robert De Niro. Now, the point of the story is not that I'm bigger than Robert De Niro, but I gotta... you had to go to a cinema. You had to go to the theater to see him. Television Huge. and today's Internet and media comes into your home. Yeah, yeah. It's very accessible. And Dynasty was, I think at one point, we were in 90 territories or countries or something like that. 
Well, it's amazing. I mean, it's like, you know, and Magda and I were sharing on the set this week, you know, Magda and I were sort of sharing like, so Magda, you know, as John has met Magda, Magda, who's just, who's a wonder woman, the child genius, you know, we have a lot of names for her, all of them flattering. But Magda sort of said, like, she swooned over you in Poland as a young one. And I'm saying, well, yeah, me, me too in Ireland. And, you know, and everyone I've told, like, I've got friends in France and stuff, and I mentioned you and they're like, Oh my God, I loved him. I mean, it must have been, it must have been an, an extraordinary time. And I looked this up just to kind of, so you were on the first episode of Dynasty, right? And I think you were like 25. Am, am I right? Uh, gee, uh, Anne, I, I, I always ask myself, I think I wasn't even 25. I think it was younger than that. I think it was like three, maybe. Not yeah. only that, I did the most episodes because the original Blake or John was George Papard. And they fired George Papard and hired John Forsythe. And then John and I, although I did spin off and I did a show called The Colby's Basically Dynasty. And that was with <laughs> Charles and Heston and Barbara Stanwyck and Catherine yes. Rocks. It was a tremendous, and Ricardo Montalban. It was a tremendous cast. Wow. Amazing. But what was it? So, so you were like, I'm just thinking, so you were a really young guy and this happens to you. So where were you in your life? When this happened to you, when you got the, when you got accepted, when you, when they gave you this role, like, were you just, where were you in life? Just auditioned. John Travolta was leaving the role of Danny Zuko on Broadway. My agent sent me there, and I went through this vigorous uh, audition process. They gave me tickets, and I thought, gee, I got a shot at doing this on Broadway. And they got me up, and I was the only man left, or only boy left at that time because I was younger and for Danny Zuko and they put me on stage with six other actresses and I thought oh they're sizing me up and they said okay we're going to do hand jive and I went oh boy I didn't learn hand jive well Phelan I looked like someone who had uh, couldn't dance his way if his life depended on it oh, <laughs> I was doing this to watching them thank you Mr. James I walked out Went to a Burger King on Times Square, so dejected, so sad. And the following week, I met Joyce Selznick of the Selznick family, who was hired by ABC. And I walked into her office and she looked at me and said, what are you doing next week? I said, nothing. She said, how would you like to go to Hollywood with me? I said, what? How would you like to go to Hollywood? I said, absolutely. So on that flight... I was with Tom Hanks, who was flown out, and Tom and Ann Gillian, Donna, Donna Mills, who's married to Dan Aykroyd, Al Corley, who played Stephen, were all signed to holding contracts at the ABC Television Network, and that's what brought me to Hollywood. So those were my early days, and my, I don't know, my third screen test was Dynasty. Oh, wow. God. And so, I mean, what an incredible lifestyle change. Like you went from, you know, living a regularly ordinary life, right? Ordinary. I lived in a cold water flat where my bathroom, my shower was in the kitchen. A cold water flat in New York means that water pipes only ran up on one side of the building. So I had the luxury apartment because I actually had a toilet in my apartment. If I lived across the hall, you'd have to walk down the hallway to the toilet adjacent mine on the other side of the wall so i actually had a luxury apartment that was we called it the mole hole because there were two windows at the end of this long tube 
and it was only as wide as the Castro sofa bed would open, and you couldn't walk around the end of the bed because <laughs> the sofa bed was about that far from the wall. Wow. That's where I lived, so I came from nothing. So you went from that, though, like, you went from that, John, to living, like, where did you live when you came out here? Well, I lived very conservatively. I lived in a duplex in Hollywood until I could pay for my home. Mm. And I did. And yeah. it is. And I built a home, a beautiful home, up on Mulholland Drive, a oh, Spanish yes. place. And uh, between days working on Dynasty, literally, I think I was the only fellow in Hollywood with a John Deere tractor. And my neighbor was Randall Kleisner, who directed Grease, uh, Grease 2, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, big director. And he yeah. had horses. So I came over and I helped clear some of the land for his little paddock for his horses. So I'd come home after Dynasty and get on my tractor and work on my house. Wow. Very nice. That's great. Very nice. So what did you like most about Dynasty, other than the paycheck? Well, the camaraderie. I also like the idea that it's... It's amazing to be on a show that's number one. It just, yeah. you know, um, and John Forsythe was sort of my mentor. Well, he was my mentor in many ways because I looked up to him. He gave me some, you know, great advice. And I would say, I wonder how, how the ratings, he said, don't worry about the ratings. He said, just worry about your work. That's all you can do. And he's right. And a little advice that I like to give young actors, and he gave me this advice, and he said, you know, he said, John, let me tell you about actors and politics. I said, what do you, what do you mean, John? He said, when you go into a theater, he said, you want everyone in that house to like you. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, that doesn't make much sense. He said, think about it. He said, because you're an actor and you want the entire audience to like you. And I think today everybody has not only politics. I don't care what you're talking about. Nobody really cares. You're an actor. Perform. Do your work. Go home. You're yeah. just a citizen. All right. And um, yeah, I think that's I think that's good. Good advice. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, this may sound like a strange segue into that. But there's this thing about actors being gay and coming out in Hollywood. And, you know, I actually think um, people should keep quiet about almost, and there was this whole thing not telling the public back in the 50s that you were married or anything like that. People want, need to project onto you whatever they want to project. They need to like you. They need to think, that could be my girlfriend, that could be my friend. And So, but, so you're saying that their life should be private. They, don't tell me you're married. Don't tell me you're gay. Don't tell me who you voted for, you know. I mean... I don't know why suddenly on every issue I don't, I don't really care about your sex life, Anne. And thank you. I do. Yeah, Phil, I, Phil cares a lot. I've got an audience of one for that. I have no interest. And maybe I'm old school. No, but it's like, it's, no, you're right, John. It's like, I mean, you, they have this joke now. It's like, you know, when someone's having a political conversation, somebody says, well, we haven't heard from Katy Perry yet. Um, you know, Katy Perry hasn't weighed in on the climate crisis or whatever, you know, and it's like, you know, I don't really want to make say too much because we still haven't heard from Katy Perry, you know, yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> and, Miley I'm sure, Cyrus. and I'm sure she's lovely and I'm sure they're all lovely. But I yeah, I think um, and we certainly feel that way about um, certain certain celebrities. No, but, uh, you know? John's right. It's, it's not I mean, it's funny. It's not even politics. It's everything. It's vegetarianism. It's, um, you know, I mean, 
I, I, I totally get it. And I also, I also think that the movies did themselves a big disservice by doing the behind the scenes packages, showing you the special effects, showing you how... Or showing you how the wizard behind, uh, the, behind the curtain. Yeah, how the smoke... It's like, going, it's like going, I'm sure you've been to the Magic Castle in Hollywood. You don't want to walk into the Magic Castle and then have the magician standing there. You're going to see how I do this later on. Yeah, I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't want to see how you did the trick. No, and I used with my wife and I, there was a magician show. And they used to say, now, it was, this is how we did it. And my wife, whose father was a magician in Australia, she would flip out and say, why are they doing that? It takes yeah. away the whole... It's yeah. called magic for a reason. Yeah. Tell me, what was it like to work with people like Joan Collins, who, you know, who... Uh, who was a huge star, right? Was she the biggest star? when you guys started out? No, Joan was looking for a, a, a way to restart her career. She was... She was probably bigger in Britain, you see. She was probably, we were, we were back in Ireland and, and watching British TV. So she was pretty big. She still had her she and her big, sister. Yeah, she, big, she did a big commercial, couple of commercials, I know that, that were running on the BBC. But she hadn't, I don't think she'd done a series of any consequence. She did a movie with her husband called The Bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, act or something. I think her sister it was a wrote that. low grade B rated movie that maybe her sister Jackie wrote. And she's, I, I got to hand it to her. She's a tough cookie. She's a great, great gal. Seized onto that and she ran that thing. International star, godmother to our, my daughter Laura here. Oh, so you're, you guys, that was kind of a question I had. Did people keep in touch then? So obviously she's become, she remains a, a big buddy of yours. You know, I live in Tennessee and she's in London and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And then before Tennessee, I was in New York. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we can't, you know, every now and then. We met her out here, actually. We met her, we were invited to a party that she, in a, in a small gathering in a, in a house and she, she turned up. I mean, really delightful, really, really kind and, and generous with her time. Lovely lady. Very much like yourself, by the way, John. Can I just say this week has been just so far like yeah. we've just been working together and it's been so, so lovely. Um, We're getting close to the end. Yes, yes. yes. We, uh, that's what I don't like about doing what we're doing because um, I've said in the past um, when you do wrap something or it's closing night, um, it's not, I, it's bittersweet. It's probably one of my least favorite days yeah. because you're excited that you've done it and you've actually created magic, created something mm-hmm. that will have, that will live, that actually is an entity unto itself, will exist somewhere. And on the other hand, then you're saying goodbye to some people that you worked so intensely mm-hmm. with for a period of time. And you, you know, from the costume, from, Sean, the costume director, to, uh, you know, the people in audio and your fellow actors, and you're all really just focused on making it the best it can be. Mm -hmm. And then, bye. Yeah. That's a problem with actors. I think that's why actors are so screwy. It's not like we worked at GE for 30 years. A couple of weeks on a show and you become very close and bye. So, so yeah, you're playing James Comey. Uh, So tell us, you know, when you got that script, and read it, what, what was your first um, emotion or feeling or wh- what did you think of the script? It's a strange idea for a script. For, just to remind people, these are verbatim texts and memos and messages. Nothing in the script uh, is, is dramatized, is made up, is fictionalized. It's all, 
everything came out of the actual words or text messages of real live people? Well, I read it and I'm, I'm not a, I follow the news quite well. I'm a big, you know, I read a lot. Um, and I was aware of all of this, obviously. Um, but when I read the script in, through the chronology of it and the actual, some of the testimony and some of the, the way that you weaved the script together is brilliant. Oh, thank brilliant. you. And, and I go, wow, oh my God. But what I thought was interesting is that you would think, oh my God, you know, this is going to drive people on this side of the aisle crazy and this people on that side of the aisle crazy. It doesn't because you know what? You can make an argument on either side, which I think is very good because if somebody doesn't believe in what, what this person is saying, the, the, the way it's put together, someone could say, you see, this questioning, he is right. He is trying to do this. He is. So, and that, that's what I thought was the most interesting part of it is that you're not editorializing. Yeah. This is it. We're laying it out. Make your own conclusions. Yeah, no, that was that was very important that we that, and I think that's what why people are so interested in verbatim theater and verbatim works of art is because it's it remove you're removing the filter, you're removing the editorializing, which people are you know, you can't read anything now. You can trust so little in the world now because it's all editorialized. Yes. Even even the news pages now are editorialized mm -hmm. and it's like this is verbatim, and this is removing the the, the, the filter of, of the voice. You can you can take from from the material, and you can form your own objective opinion, and they could be on both sides. They can yeah. be way over here, and they say, "Yeah, but he said this," and that's what's brilliant about it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. I, I, and I just want to let people know, you know, it may sound dry. It may sound. Uh, oh no! Know. During these few days rehearsal that we've had, uh, it can get very boring backstage when you're waiting to go on. But uh, the, the scene between the congressman and, and Strzok, uh, I set up every time and the next thing I know I'm listening to every word. It's really good drama. I mean, it's as good as any crime drama. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Yeah, it's thank like, you. It's like, what? I told Bruce, who's playing the Republican congressman, I said, man, and you know, the funny thing is, he's done, he's played a zillion lawyers. Did you know that? No, oh, no, no, but he's so great. But uh, he said, oh yeah, I played it. And man, it's good stuff. Him and Dean are right at each other. Yeah, it's fine, yeah, yeah. One thing I was very careful to do when we were writing the play was any kind of personal information I could find in the text messages or in the transcripts, I put it in because it's important to humanize these people. And you do see Strzok and Page, and to another extent, Comey and people like that, as, as humans, right? Um, now, uh, we have a little bit of fun with you, uh, with your character, but we're, we're not going to tell the audience they'll have to pay their 10 bucks, like everybody, sorry, they'll have to go on YouTube. It's gonna be on YouTube. You have to for go on YouTube. For free, exactly, for free. yes. But, um, you know, it's important that a, there was a bit of humor, but also there's a bit of humanity in, in it as well. Well, I'm not going to, I know, I'll tell your viewers this, that uh, you and I had some, uh, not spirited, but certainly I was trying to make, <laughs> make my point 
and I and as I told you, uh, when I saw it and put it on for the first time just to try it on, I said that son of a gun is dead right. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. And that's what makes it fun, and that's what makes this. It, it takes because it could be very, you know, it just makes it fun. I think I, I go by the adage. I don't know who it was that said it about the, about Hollywood. Nobody knows nothing, right? You know, it, it's all a. It's all a big experiment. It's all, will this work? Let's throw it at the wall and see. It's collaboration. Any, any collaborative effort is, is certainly there's give and take. And if you yeah. care about your work, yeah, that's what you do. And, yeah. uh, you yeah. think about it and you, you mull it around and then you make your point and then you make your point and then we come to a conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And how do you think Mr. Comey will react when he sees you, Jeff Colby, playing him? That's an interesting question. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think he might have watched Dynasty, so he may be flattered. Yeah. Okay. 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 I think it's important that we make this movie. Why do you, do you think it's important, and why? Why? why actually, why should people watch this? Tell, tell us. You know, you've read the script. Now you, you're you're you're, you're working with your. Why is it important? Well, as I told my brother, I said, I'm not making a Hallmark movie here. This is important. Uh, even if I, uh, look, I'm an actor. I'm not uh, Anthony Hopkins, for example. He's not Hannibal. You know, I mean, and people will be saying, oh, how could you do that? No, this is an important story that we all need to listen to. Mm. And I think people... When they watch it, they'll say, wow, this is, wow, this actually happened. Uh, we're in a 24-hour news cycle that I, I'm very well aware of and have been through with past projects. Um, and people, you know, this is important stuff. People need to listen and, and, and see, you know, they, people are so busy. And it, just sit back and just watch this unfold. I think it's important. That's why I was so thrilled to be that you asked me because, as my brother said, he said, this is a real deal, man. This is an important thing. Well, thank you. God, it's, been, it's so nice. We're so lucky that you, that you decided to, to join the cast and that you've come out here and we just love it. Um, I want to, kind of moving on from that, yes. I wanted to ask you, um, so you don't live in Hollywood. And, but funny enough, we've been doing some of our podcasts about the fact that loads of people are leaving California, by the way, and moving all over the country. Um, we just did a, a show where we kind of, we went to Boise, Idaho. A lot of people have gone there. You're in Tennessee. Um, is it in Nashville? Is that where you are? I live outside of Nashville. Correct. So why, why, why Nashville? Why Tennessee? Well, I moved from, I moved from New York. Um, one, I got tired of the weather. Two, I got tired of the just onerous taxes that were just descending on us and it was just crazy. Uh, and um, I, I've lived in California, so I was looking for, and I found Tennessee and I went my wife and uh, Nashville reminds me of Los Angeles uh, back in the 80s. It's booming. And um, great, you know, there's just great restaurants. Hotels are being built everywhere. It seems that there's always something, of course, the music business is there, but now we're starting to see some other, some other media come in. And uh, I like the seasons, but I don't like um, 20 below zero. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. You yeah. like the seasons, but not. The yeah. Yeah. 
I got this. Lovely, lovely state. It's a beautiful state. No, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. So you're like, you're, you're ahead of the, the gang. I mean, a huge number of people, obviously, are, everyone's leaving now, it seems like, yeah. to us. But I've got, we've got two final questions we ask all of our guests. And I know I sent them to you earlier. And one is, and of course, I don't know the answer to this. So we, most guests, we ask them, what's the recipe that they're famous for in their house? So are you famous for cooking anything for your family? Yes, my barbecued chicken. And I'll tell you, I will give you the, I take um, uh, a Ziploc bag. Uh, I take uh, cut up chicken and I take uh, wishbone Italian salad dressing pour it in there, shake it up, and let it sit for four hours. I sear the chicken both sides, place it on the top rack, turn the temperature down if you have a propane grill, turn it down to 250, low heat, and walk away. And come back in an hour and 40 minutes, just check it every now and then. And it will come out crispy, 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 and moist inside. A lot oh, of people, when they fry chicken, they go, oh, it's burning, oh, it's burning. And the outside is all like kind of burned and the inside is, well, it's sort of cooked. Oh, well, thank you. Salt and pepper, I love it. If you have a gas grill, it's basically 250 to 275, lower heat, and just walk away, come back and check it. You'll start to see it, the crisp, it's just cool. Oh, what, what, delicious. What's the name of the dressing? Kraft Italian. And it's you know, got some spices in there and it just makes a nice marinade. I love it. I love it. And then the last question we ask everyone is, uh, if you could tell us about a piece of art that's important to you, that's inspired you, that's significant to you. Well, I'll see if you can guess. It's on Fifth Avenue. It's at Rockefeller Center. Do you know it? No. There is a statue, a bronze statue. Oh, yes. And what is it? Atlas? No, no. Yes, it is. Standing. <laughs> that I've that inspired me when I was a young actor, uh, going to the academy, and uh, I hate to say it, but I'm an Ayn Rand fan. Uh, which I guess is good or bad. No, no, not no problem there. Atlas Shrugged is my favorite book, especially with that book and the period that the Rockefeller Center was built, which was in the late 30s, by the Rockefellers to revitalize a essentially slum at the time. Mm -hmm. It was Midtown, they didn't know what to do with it. And I thought every time I walked by that, I see, <laughs> I can think about is that damn book. And <laughs> this, in, you know, and I think it's just such a iconic, and people don't even, I think it's just brilliant that it was put there and it makes such a statement in front of this spectacular piece of real estate with Atlas and the weight of the world, you know, lifted. Just, it's a brilliant bronze. Oh, wow. You, you've seen it then. Yeah, no, yeah, totally. No, no, it's incredibly iconic. In fact, you can't imagine that space without it. Yes. Like, yeah. No, that's, that, that really, some, and it, not only that, but I love that period, that Art Deco period. Yeah. That's my favorite period of, and I know it was in the 30s and it was tough, but it was coming also out of the 20s, which was the world's, uh, our oyster, so to speak. And, and you know, capitalism and the whole nine yards. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's just, a, it's a very, it's a very telling piece uh, that, you know, people think it's so easy and, you know, capitalism. But the point is, is that 
you can see the struggle that it is to hold the yeah. world together. And even though it's in front of this spectacular building, because you know, when they first built it, they didn't even, they couldn't find anybody to rent the place. Oh my uh, God, imagine that. Yeah, they, yeah. And, the, and the, and the uh, ice skating ring was only an afterthought. They didn't know what to do with the space. It's amazing. And how perfect it is now. That's my, of every piece of art, I, I always see that. I can see it in my mind today. Oh, God. Well, thank you so thank much. You. Yeah. This is so great, John. Uh, we'll be talking to you, obviously, because we're still we're still producing this and working on it. Um, but thank you so much for your time. I'm a little nervous, but I think we're going to have a good product when we're when we're done. I, I think, think so. so. I, I think, think so. so. Thanks John. so much, John. John, thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, that was great. Yes. I just, I mean, I would, he's just a what a what a wonderful person. He, and he's so nice to oh, Seth. He's, so yeah, nice. he's the gentleman. Yeah. He, he's real old Hollywood, actually. You get that yeah. from. He's got that kind of. Um, I'm, very, I'm a Hollywood cla star. Class. Say, he's a class act. He's yes. an actual. He's a class act from the moment he arrives till the moment he leaves. Just a great yes. guy. So talking of you know talking of class acts and then talking about the exact opposite of that. Yes. Um, I watched Cuties on Netflix so that you don't have to. And in fact, even Phelan didn't have to watch it. Yeah. Um, and Cuties. So you've, you've heard about Cuties. You've yeah. heard about Cuties. So it's, there's a recent controversy to do with Cuties. But there was a previous, uh, about a month ago, when this film was first announced by Netflix about a month ago, there was controversy. Um, when the promotional material came out. Mm -hmm. So Cuties, by the way, is a French movie. It's a French movie. Uh, it's made by a Senegalese um, a immig French immigrant, basically, and it tells the story of an 11-year-old Senegalese Muslim immigrant who family who have arrived and are living in a in kind of a project, uh, you know, in, in government housing in, in, in France, in Paris. Um, the father is still in Senegal. He gets in touch and says to the family, oh, I'm going to be taking a second wife. The mother is very upset about this. Amy, the child, who is the star of the, of the film and he's on camera basically all of the time, is very upset about that. Um, and in an effort to fit in, um, Amy joins a, kind of, uh, a bunch of girls who are twerking their way into a dance competition. And, and doing a lot more than twerking. And doing a lot more than twerking. But it's inter I, I want to start by just looking back at the controversy that happened uh, when the initial promotional material went out and it's quite interesting how Netflix responded to it so when the initial um, promotional material came out this is how Netflix described they had this promo we'll put that promotional image up now the poster which which caused controversy that, that so that's the image you're looking at right now and then they basically said along with that promotional image they said Amy 11 becomes fascinated with a twerking dance crew hoping to join them she starts to explore her femininity defying her family's traditions um, Netflix then apologized for that for and apologized for the poster and then came out with a new, came out with a new promotional uh, tagline 11 year old Amy starts to rebel against her conservative family traditions when she becomes fascinated with a free spirited dance crew. yes um, yeah you know here here's um, yeah here's the try, trying very very hard to you know rewrite rewrite history and whatever yes. it's I'll tell you one thing. Uh, just and then, the, the film has has attracted. No, I'm just trying to sure, put in context for people. Enormous controversy because it is showing children in highly sexualized positions yeah. and 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 making highly sexualized activities and gestures. Yes, it, it, it focuses on their on their yeah, private parts. It, I mean, yeah. it's just it's it's treating them like sexualized adults, and they're 11 years old. The 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 Daily Telegraph, you know, so, so, so the, tell us now, and you've watched it. 
Uh, but it's interesting, it's, it's, so it's attracted a huge amount of controversy because of the fact that the children are sexualized and it's really uncomfortable to watch. But what's really interesting, by the way, is how, you know, Netflix, etc., are now saying, oh, but the whole point of the movie was to criticize the sexualization of young people. It's interesting that their promotional material didn't mention that, though. So suddenly they're saying that that's what the movie's all about. No, in fact, I, I don't... That's my question to you, Anne, because, I mean... Funny, you also, uh, we were talking about this earlier, you said this movie, it's very anti-Islam. Yes, right? yeah, I mean, it definitely The family is. tradition she's rebelling against is not bourgeois French values, it's Islamic values. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, uh, you know... You know, I mean, by the way, that's a culture, Senegal. I mean, no one, it's no news to anyone, by the way, that you're allowed to have multiple wives. No news of any kind, right? Yeah. However, the film treats, it, treats of the very, you know, conservative Muslim traditions... You know, it's definitely, it's definitely looked at in a negative light. That's, so, let's put it so, that so way. So it's anti-Islamic. You also said it's not a great movie, even you know, no, even no, standing alone, it's not a great movie, yeah, not a great story, a great plot. But the the core question is, does it, when it's showing children in highly sexualized and sexy and committing almost sexual acts, is it criticizing them? Is it criticizing that culture? Or is it celebrating that culture? Is it's doing, I don't think, you know, I don't think there, it's certainly, I, I didn't see anywhere where the film was saying this is a negative. Um, you know, they were, you know, the, the girls were really happy when they were doing this dancing. And that was, and, and then we, we had quite a lot of focus on this dancing thing. And, and the dancing was very highly sexualized. And there's these scenes with the girls. And, you know, the reality is that very young girls um, were in this movie and were asked to do this. This is what the director asked yeah. them to do. So, so then I would say that if this film is not criticizing the sexualization of young children, then it is celebrating it. Then it is wrong. This is, this is, this, this is, it's, it's promoting. And I mean, you see that in some of the more honest or more idiotic reviews. The Daily Telegraph, a supposedly conservative paper in the UK, said, you know, it, you know, a shot across the bows to those who are afraid of, of, of a child's growing sexuality. And it's like, you know, there are laws to protect. And this is, this is not a, a 15, 16 year old precocious people. These are 11 year olds. Yeah, like I'm a grown up and I watched it and I found it, I was really uncomfortable watching it. And I, I didn't, you know, if they were trying to get some message out that, you know, they were trying to, you know, attack, uh, the, culture. attack the culture of sexualizing of girls, they didn't succeed. You can't take that back, you know. Um, but yeah. you made a good you made a good point, Philip, about well, about. Well, I mean, I've always had this problem with child actors. Yeah, actually. we've often talked about this. Um, you know, is it is it fair to allow children to act? I know some children really want to act, but it's really young children. Like, it's like you know, I know parents say, "Oh, my child really wants to act. That was her choice." And it's like it's a bit like wherever Scaredy Cat. You know, if if I tell you that Scaredy Cat and Top Cat are vegetarian. They may not eat meat, but everybody knows whose choice it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so these child actors, very young child actors, they may be up there acting and enjoying it, but everyone knows it's the parent's choice. So this is exploitative. Yeah. is not good for children. So, um, but one thing that we could recommend is on mm. Apple TV. I, okay, we slightly disagree. But by the way, Salem, you sat through the whole thing. I so did, we binged, recently binged this. Um, I got a new iPhone. And when you get a new iPhone, here's a quick advertisement for Apple, like they need it but from me, by the way. But uh, they give you a year's subscription to Apple TV. And there's this show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and other luminaries, including what, Steve Carell, right? And... It's called The Morning Show, and I, re I highly recommend it. It's kind of, it's, 
uh, it kind of deals a little bit with the Me Too movement. That's kind of the kickoff. That's yeah. the kickoff for the thing. And I think it's slightly, can I just say, Phelan, more nuanced than you would expect. Yes. They don't hit you over the head, and I think it's slightly more nuanced. I think Jennifer Aniston, of course, and Reese Witherspoon, who apparently got a million dollars each per episode, um, actually really did work quite hard. Now, yes. not a million dollars worth, but still, um, I very, very. I thought it was very, very entertaining. I thought they were great. Yeah. Um, and Steve Carell's fantastic. And I thought, by the way, you know, I just think if you're looking for entertainment, for your mind to get away from all of this kind of depressing news and the politicization of um, a pandemic, which is what we're living yeah. through, um, no better place than to go to this. And I just, it's funny, and I've recommended it to people. I know I recommended it to friends of ours um, where the guy is a cop and they were looking for some entertainment to get their minds off all the awful stuff that's going on, including the fact that we have terrible weather, terrible uh, air quality here right now because of the wildfires. Um, and people are indoors. People are being told, don't take exercise. So these people, these friends of ours were, were in their apartment and I wrote and I said, try this out. Try watching Morning Show. And they, they binged it. for the, the, They binged the whole thing yeah, in a day, so, you know. I mean, there is so much bad TV out there at the moment. And this, this is good TV. Um, I think the politics, so. you know, a little bit. You know, I think the, you know, there's a scene at the beginning where, let's just say, uh, someone who's supposed to be conservative admits in public that they had an abortion at 15 oh, and she's hailed for her bravery and it's like you know and she's suddenly becomes a star because i don't i don't want to spoil it for you That's and for me i i felt no actually the brave thing there you know imagine if the jennifer aniston character who's a, a liberal new york liberal imagine if she came out as being against abortion yeah yeah that, that, that would have made it interesting imagine that would have just yeah put a bomb in the middle of the morning show because yeah. everyone, no one would know what to do. They would have held interviews back from her. They would, you know, she'd been ostracized from polite society. That would have created drama. So you know, I just I, felt... Forgive me, actually. Forgive me for, for forgetting that bit because, because, by the way, it really is almost like... It, they dropped that in. It doesn't even. It doesn't even fit with stuff. It's like they dropped that in. It's like the. It's. It's like the, the. The left cannot help themselves but to insert abortion into into stuff I got to try yeah. to try and make a point. Oh, you know. To be fair to the plot, it actually it, it did move the plot along a little bit. Now that I remember, in the sense that the person who said it made a name for herself, and it was part of this. Oh, she's crazy. You never know what she's going to say. Car crash TV, right? So you know. But I just felt, imagine, you know, the really incendiary thing to do would be to have the liberal come out against abortion, just and, and for, for reasons that she she just seen a child being born, or or she just held a yeah. premature baby, or yeah. you know, or was even having doubts about abortion. Imagine that. Yeah, you know. yeah. No, no, they, they weren't. So, they didn't so, go there. And another credit, by the way, you know, overall, where Anne would give it eight, nine stars. I thought it was entertaining. I would give it seven, eight stars. My other criticism of it, but it's not really a criticism, and it's kind of a, a pet peeve of mine. Pet of films. Is they do the journalism really so badly. badly yes, right? Because films spend a lot of time in newsrooms, and he's, and he's like, why can't they just do it the way it's done in newsrooms? Because it's not that difficult. Well, actually, the newsroom drama is actually the newsroom drama is very... It's the actual news, right? It's when they're, when on, they're doing front, the, of, yeah. front of the, the camera. They're on the site. Doing, you know, I'm here standing you know, behind me, and it's just it's written like somebody... Like a twelve-year-old, it's written like a sixteen-year-old thinks journalism should be, and it hasn't got that energy. It's always very flat and funny. You really notice it in that in the morning show because all the rest of the writing is so good and so hot and so zingers all the time. And then you've got them doing this journalism. I mean, funny they come to wildfires in California, which is interesting. You know, it's kind of ahead of their time, and the journalism is just very flat about this massive, and it's quite cliched. And I'm just thinking, hire a journalist, and you know who can write in that cadence of journalism that is quite... I mean, 
when we make documentaries, I always find it's great sometimes to get journalism pieces for the story archive because journalists are really good at really telling something really quickly and really dramatic. Oh yeah, dramatic. and getting the point out in a two-minute piece, and it really helps the documentary move along. So, uh, I think there's another. They they were filming another season. Uh, I think it was stopped because of COVID. My advice to the people from the morning show is try and have the liberal people have one conservative view and watch that for drama. And the second thing is hire a journalist to write the journalism That's pieces. a good point. That's a really good point. Um, but in I, other I, news, but recommend it. In other news. In other, in other news uh, here, we have a new member of our animal family here. So we've got, as you know, we have Scaredy Cat and Top Cat, who you've met. And now we have a new member. Um, and let's just look at the new member of our family. Yes, we have a possum now. You yes. can see him there. So, you know, basically... If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to it on, on, um, on you the have podcast. To watch. Yeah, you have to watch on YouTube to see this our possum. So, by the way, the possum, now we've learned a lot about possums. The only marsupial living in the United States of America. Marsupials, as you know, who carry their young on them in a pouch. And here, and here isn't he just a darling? Yes. So... Phelan discovered him because we have a, a you know an, an activated camera out the back, yes. and so we started to see this guy with a nice long tail on him. So now we've actually started to feed him and look at him having a bit of water there, and look at him having a bit of food and yeah. with the no, big no, teeth no, and no, yum no, yum no, yum no. munchy munchy munchy. Here's a we're competition for you. We need to name our mar our marsupial our possum because apparently I think he's going to stay here. I people say he's living underneath the house. Um, you know he's he's a, he's a vegetarian, right? I, I think he'll eat anything. A question for people: he eats But not, but no, he's not going to eat the cats, though. I can confirm he eats cat food. He eats cat food. Yes. But apparently, somebody the next door neighbor we were writing to who said that they that, that he also eats carrion, yes. which you know obviously that dead things. But he's not going to hurt a living thing. Well, oh, except for we maybe, want, except we, for insects, maybe. We want people out there to say: Is this a good thing that we have a possum here, or a bad thing? Because we we have no possums in Ireland. This is my first this possum. Is, this is our I've, first possum. I've never seen a possum up close. We before. would really like to get. Um, so write to us on the YouTube channel, or write to us in the comment of the of the Apple Podcast thing. Tell us about what. Whether give us a name. whether we, it's right to encourage the possum, whether it's right to feed the possum, and, and give us a name for the possum. Please give us a name for the possum. Um, and other thing. Oh yeah. By the way, I just noticed I didn't get to say this to you, Philip, but we've had a few trolley type people on our um, Apple Podcast comments. writing nasty comments. And can you guys get in there, please? Leave a comment. And if you find it difficult, and by the way, it's quite difficult to navigate the Apple Podcast place to find where to do. The, the comments oh. and my advice is find the local 12 year old find any 12 year old and say to them can you help me find my way to writing um, a comment and please leave us a comment and please leave us five stars and I think leaving five stars is even easier than doing the, yeah. the comment but please do both if you can so I think are we wrapped up for I now I think we're kind of wrapped and up for so now we always, I always come off this podcast saying and then think oh, oh, wish, I wish, wish I'd mentioned that Obamagate no. well don't forget Obamagate movie dot com yes John Jim no we've done everything and cooties and yes we've done everything and possum so go to if you've got two three tasks go to obamagateproject.com help Give us what you can anything help us fight back uh, to help us name the possum and number three leave a comment on the Apple podcast or leave a comment on YouTube thanks so much thank you see you next time bye, bye.